0: To be anti-racist, it does not matter what race you are, we are in this suit and the only way to know that we are the rabbits in the pot with the heat turning up is to constantly be aware of the
1: temperature. Welcome to the For the Love podcast with me, Jen Hatmaker. Today, we're talking about the conflicted history of Black identity in America with my good friend, Marcy Alvis Walker. Hey everybody, Jen Hatmaker here, your host of the For the Love podcast. Welcome to the show, you guys. Right now, we are in a series called For the Love of Black Lives, and it has meant so much to me. And I'm grateful to you, the listening community, because you've told us how much it's meant to you too. You have wildly shared this series with your friends, with your communities, with your churches, with your families. And that just means so much to me. This is just an important conversation in our national reckoning right now. And we wanted to be a part of it. Definitely. You know, if you know me at all, you know how much this matters to me. So obviously, to be Black in America means that your life falls on many intersections. This is especially true if you're a Black woman in America. To live in a land where your ancestors were brutally forced beyond their will to be brought here, abused, raped, treated as possessions, and then for generations, denied the freedom and dignity to live as full citizens of this country. We've talked to many women in this series who have family members who knew sharecroppers and slaves during their lifetimes. They worked tirelessly to build a life, a beautiful life, to give their children a hope for a brighter future. And we've watched our Black brothers and sisters march off to war with the American flag sewn onto their arms, who fought and bled and died, but in the last century we're still being treated as lesser than their white counterparts. It's important that we lean in and listen and learn right now. And that's step one, listen, learn listen, learn, and in some cases, relearn, unlearn. I'm so grateful that today we have a wonderful thinker and teacher and writer to guide us through this discussion. So Marcy Alvis Walker, until very recently, lived right here in Austin. She is the creator of the Black Coffee with White Friends blog, where her very candid but also artistic writing—she's so artistic—demonstrates how it feels, what it is like to be a Black woman in predominantly white spaces, okay? And so she uses memoir, letters, devotionals. She narrates the legacy of— her life and times today. Most recently, Marcy created Mockingbird History Lessons, which I'm really excited to link to for you, where she shares the missing narratives of history, the ones that make all the difference in the world, in the way that we see ourselves, our ancestors, our country, our brothers and sisters, what's real and true. Marcy and I met, I asked her to confirm this, I think it was four years ago, She and I were a part of our local. One of our local Be the Bridge groups. You've heard me talk many times, and she's been on the podcast a couple of times with Latasha Morrison and her organization called Be the Bridge, which is just this incredible organization that works on racial literacy and reconciliation. And so there's little small local groups all over the United States. And Marcy and I were in a Be the Bridge group. And so we have been in each other's homes and on each other's porches, and we have broken bread and we have laughed and cried together. And she is a real special leader. You're going to love to hear from her and to listen and learn from her experience and what she has to teach us those of us who are white in a predominantly white environment we have so much to learn you guys and today's conversation is going to move the needle forward for all of us so i'm so pleased to share my conversation with the wonderful my friend marcy alvis walker Well, I am delighted to welcome my real tried and true friend, Marcy. Welcome to the For the Love podcast. I'm so, so happy to have you on today.
0: I am just thrilled to be here. It it sounds weird to be thrilled to be anywhere. You're right. But I am, I'm thrilled that these conversations are happening. And anytime time that someone is generous enough to offer a place to land a conversation, I am so there for it. So thank you.
1: Well, the pleasure's mine. Just for everyone who's new to you today, could you just start, could you roll it back a little bit for us? Can you talk a little bit more for my listeners about, about who you are, about where you're from, how you have got to sort of where you are and what you're working toward in the world right now? Those are big, huge, mm-hmm. high-level questions. Yeah.
0: I first want to say that I am on this podcast and I do have an Instagram feed and a blog and things happening in my world. I enrolled my daughter into this very white school, very prestigious, very conservative, very exclusive, very, and when I say exclusive, very purposely excluding people from this school, all in the name of Jesus. And I thought, I would come in and change them. And I heard one night at a parent meeting that there were going to be these slave debates that my daughter would have to participate in in her junior year. She was a freshman. I freaked out, did a lot of praying, a lot of searching and, you know, just met with the school. The teacher came to realize that they shouldn't be doing Slave debate. Mm
1: -hmm. Meaning, just for everybody, just for clarity, (laughs) meaning that one person was going to be tasked with arguing for slavery.
0: Yeah, no. Kids, it was worse than that, Jen. They had to do both sides. So my daughter would have had to research and defend slavery. My black child in a room full of white patriarchy and Christianhood was going to have to defend slavery. For great. And then she was going to have to roll it back and do the cons.
1: That's hard to believe. I remember when this happened. And even as you're telling it again, I, I'm sitting here shocked again, like, I, like it's fresh yeah. news.
0: Yeah. yeah. And this is not 1952. <laughs> yeah. this, is, this is, you know, 2000, I want to say 13, 14, 15, somewhere around there. So eventually we left the school because they Trump got elected and things get worse. And so I realized that the school just never saw my daughter coming. They never thought about her or me when they planned the school. So that's how I started the blog because I've been writing letters to my daughter I'd been writing letters to her before she was born. I've always written, went to school for English literature, kind of had some family things done and and things kind of taken away from me. And I would go back and forth, should I do a blog? No, I'm not gonna do a blog. Should I do a blog, drive my husband crazy. And then finally, I just said, I have to write this all down because I want my daughter to know that I, I cared. Yes, good. And that I've tried. I don't want her to look back because I didn't have that from my family. I don't have any record of my family being at civil rights marches or what happened the day that Dr. King, I don't have those stories in my family because they buried them. And I I did not want my daughter to have to look for me through the dust and the ashes and come up with nothing. So I wrote, I started writing and thought, well, I might as well write some letters to these white friends of mine. Who <laughs> while I'm here. <laughs> while
1: I'm here. <laughs> yes.
0: yes. So I started writing these letters to white friends. And then I started the Instagram to let people know when I posted something. But then I, I started to, to realize that, oh, this Instagram thing is a place where I can create something beautiful. And I went to my husband. And I said, "I really want to do something beautiful. I want to do Instagram where it looks really pretty." And he's a graphic designer and letterer. And I know that's not fair, but that's that's what it is.
1: Uh-huh. is I, I have this candy. Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> yeah, I just said I want to show my whole self—not just my pain, not just my angst, not just the problems of blackness—because our problems are very small in comparison to the whole culture of who we are.
1: Yeah, I love how you always say that. Yeah.
0: So I wanted to show that we, too, love Shakespeare and we, too, love Margaret Atwood. And we, too, are nerds. And that's something that I think white people don't know is that we, we are nuanced and, and we, are, we have our black nerds and we have our black, you know, my ex-husband. I'm not kidding you wore Western wear, I'm talking boots, hat, shirt, in Chicago on the South Side for a good two years. Sure, but like unironically, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that was his thing. And he was into country music and he went hunting. And I mean, the spoil was raised on the South Side in Chicago. So I just need for white America to know that we are not just protests and hurt, we are, one of the things that just, I think it's Michael Brown's mom, I I think it's Michael Brown's mom said that we, I posted it, she said, you do not know how hard it was for me to get him to graduate. And that was a real mom moment because if you've ever been through a junior and senior year and your child is saying things like mine was like, I think I'm going to go to France and become a ballerina, <laughs> and you are—you're doing all the praying, and you're doing all the trying. And you know they're telling you things like the SAT is not important, and it's not, but it is. Yes, and,
1: the you know, labor the, to get these kids it, uh, over the finish line—it's the stuff of oh, motherhood. It's real.
0: It is the stuff of motherhood. And when she, when she said that, I was like, that is why it matters that we support these mothers it's not just that black lives matter is also that these moms work just as hard as any other mother and a lot of times with less resources to get our children whole and healthy and across that finish line so to share those things was really important in the in the
1: feed listen to me Taking care of your mind and mental health is just as important as taking care of your body and soul. And BetterHelp is here to make caring for your mental health easy and affordable. So with BetterHelp, you can connect with a licensed professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. You can start communicating with your counselor between 24 to 48 hours via text, chat, phone, video. And if it's not a great fit, you can even change counselors at no cost. And listen, you're definitely not alone in this. So many people have been using BetterHelp. They're actually recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. I want you to start living a happier life today. As one of my listeners, you'll get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash love. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash ForTheLove. Okay, back to our show. we're about to unpack some of your work with black coffee and with white friends but i want to go roll it back one one notch more if you don't mind you've talked a lot about what it is like when your skin carries a weight with it when it affects the way that you hold space in the world that you move through the world and what to do when the world tells a story about who you are and what your role is or is not can you go back, you alluded to this a second ago. Will you tell me a little bit about your family's history and what you know to be true from that like firsthand knowledge, your childhood, your growing up years, what you heard and what you saw and what you experienced.
0: So growing up, I grew up in two places. So I spent the school year with my grandparents in an all-white community in Norfolk, Ohio. And we were one of, maybe three or four families so we were black families in a a very white community and kind of working class middle class which doesn't exist as much these days but that's what it was and then in the summers and on weekends I was in this all black community with my mother which was also working class middle class So I was going back and forth between these worlds and there was a lot of code switching, but without any tools to navigate either space. So I had these two worlds. So my worlds have always been either I was in a all white space where my color was a problem. And it was clear that was a problem. We were one of the first families to integrate Cleveland schools and the suburbs in Cleveland didn't even integrate their schools into the 70s. So I was going into that school being one of the first families to go into those schools. So I'm living that life. And then on the weekends, I'm living a life where blackness is everything. And it's looking to be protected from whiteness. And I can't bring any part of the white culture that is obviously part of me because I'm in it. To that culture, because that's being a traitor, that's not safe for them. So, having to code switch what I liked, what cartoons I watched, what music I was interested in, nobody when I was a teenager in my mother's neighborhood, I could not have gone in talking about REM. It wasn't gonna happen. So, there was a lot of code switching, a lot of figuring out identity. I decided, I don't know how I came up with this, but I decided that I was good, just going to be it all at some point. I just decided I'm just going to be this girl who talks like a white girl wherever I go because I can't keep going back and forth. My sisters just adored that, like like kind of like a pet, an interesting pet that lives with us. My, my sister my brother, they're like, I'm oh, just listening to her talk to her friends on the phone. I It's something. So they were just... They were just like, that's just who she is. She's a little strange. She listens to R.E.M. and Steele, someone named Steele. Like, she, she just does these things that we don't quite understand, you know? But we love her. <laughs> we're like, let her go. But that was my background. So I've been in that world because that's the thing. Even when I was in Black spaces with other kids who were like me, we were the one or two kids in the AP class. You know, the one or two. In college, the one or two black students in the honors program, you know? And so there's just all this segregation. I know we don't believe that we're still a segregated society, but when it comes to education, we're deeply segregated. Even when we're in communities where there's integration. Within the school, often, the, the bright kids are pulled out and separated from the other kids that usually tend to be the kids of color. So, you know, that's my world.
1: Let's talk about your world right now a little bit, too. This is why you're so funny. You call your husband my Viking hobbit that makes no sense. You know, I would just want a tattoo that says that. <laughs> the best description of a spouse ever. Can you talk a little bit about how you met your husband and how your family has navigated the world with members of different races inside your family unit? And I'm curious if being married to a white man has changed or altered the way maybe that you look at yourself as a black woman, or maybe even the way that your family views you or interacts with you. I'd like to just kind of hear your experience there.
0: Yeah, it's really funny. So my Viking husband, Simon, and his name's Simon. His I mean, name's Simon for
1: Pete's sake. He's
0: my second husband, my second and last husband. Yes, I like So it. I, married, I married as I was expected to marry because we were brought up not to date white boys because they weren't safe. That was just the way it was. My grandparents made that very clear. My mother made that very clear. I grew up, I married my college sweetheart. We had a beautiful child. That marriage imploded not because anyone was particularly evil, just because we were just very, very human. And we did not know how to be better than that to one another, to, to elevate ourselves to being more for one another. When I met Simon, I was pretty much sure, I even told my life group that I was pretty sure that I was celibate.
1: And that- Bless. <laughs> oh, bless. And- His
0: sister, who was in my group, laughed. She laughed the loudest and hardest. She's just like, oh, my gosh, what are you saying? I just kind of said to God, you know, I'm I'm just done. I'm done. I can't do this and raise a child. To be brokenhearted and raise children is so hard. I can't express it. I could not deal with that. So I just decided I'm just going to wait until she's, Good and gone, because
1: mm-hmm. she was little, right? She was young. Yeah, she
0: was two when we divorced. I met Simon when she was six, and so I was just like, I just am going to focus on this little being, which was the joy of my life, and it's just going to be us too. So I met Simon. He he was visiting his sister, and we were in the backyard of a friend's, and I just saw him, and we just fell in love. We talked about classic movies. And I was really just being flirtatious, just to, for fun. Never in a million years thinking that this man, who I thought, oh, he could surely date any quirky, you know, Zoe Deschanel type girl, sure. you know, sure. like because he was—he's four years younger. It's like that's probably what he'll do. But I'm gonna be the creepy older friend that his sister's friend that just flirts with him and makes him blush, and that'll be fun and. And then he asked me out and we dated over the phone and he traveled to visit and we just we laid it out we had a seven hour conversation we laid it out all the problems of being divorced and coming together again and how we would have to rebuild trust we talked about race from the beginning did not pretend that that was not a thing and i think you asked an interesting question, like, how has it, what has it done for me in being black? I think it's done more to highlight his whiteness. Interesting. If anything, yeah. and his whiteness. Yeah, oh, right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's quite an oh, intersection yeah. right there.
0: I never play down my blackness. So he knows all about the shea butter, the cocoa butter, the head wraps, the ash. He knows all about the things. He knows about don't throw water into a situation without me being prepared with the hair. Uh-huh. He knows not if you want
1: things. to live.
0: Right, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But he also knows the real things because he's not just having to navigate me as a black woman, he's raising a black woman. That's right. So he is having to understand where he has to advocate for her. And that's been a real thing. And my family has, all, it, it, me marrying a white guy was no surprise. I was listening to R.E.M. They were shocked when I married a black guy, I think. Sure. So <laughs> I think my sister said something to the effect of, one of my sisters said, well, you know, it's not for me, but, you know, if he treats you well and he loves you. And now my sisters just adore him. Oh, I like they that. They adore him. And I, I think it's because he has not required... Me to be different or them to be different. And he has allowed their stories without judgment, without him having to be the sole purpose of the room, which so often happens with white men, their sole purpose of the room.
1: Oh, I love that. I kind of want to go back because you're such an experiential expert of what it is like to navigate primarily white spaces. This is a conversation that has been really centered this year and so worthy of attention and and furthering this discussion. I I wonder if you could talk for a minute about, in this country, when we celebrate holidays like the 4th of July, like Memorial Day or Veterans Day, Columbus Day, I wonder if you could talk about what you feel on those days and how those days mean something differently. If you are a white American, if you are a black American, how those have been established in our dominant culture vernacular history aside, that's secondary, if not third, but you know, it's a story we've told ourselves. And so I would love to hear you pick up that baton and, and talk to us a little bit about those sorts of days in this sort of country.
0: Yeah, this is big. Here's the thing. When we first heard, When Black people first heard, Make America Great Again, when we first heard that, we didn't know how that could possibly include our collected history. How how can it? You know, dial it back to 1980s and the stop and frisk and all the policing that was just beginning to happen. The war on drugs, yeah. Right? Dial it back to, okay, 1970s. Most schools were still being integrated. There were still riots happening. Dial it back to the 60s, dial it back to the 50s. So when, for us, would we, what time, what line would we pick where we would say, okay, this is when America was great. Right? And that's not just for Black people. You have to think about the gay and queer community. That's right. What that would feel like for them. You have to think about what that would feel like to the Asian American community and internment camps and the Chinese Exclusion Act. So, when all these things were happening and, and America is celebrating its freedom, the oxymoron of that is that so many people, we're still captive, but they figured since they're not gonna consider them to be people, they're just oxen and they're just, you know, tools, that that's okay. They're not real people, they're, they're, they're something else. I have no problems with Veterans Day and Memorial Day, but I wanna remember the soldiers and the veterans who never got their proper due. A lot of people don't know that black veterans and women didn't receive this GI Bill, they didn't get parades. And the history shows that when these African American soldiers came back and were in uniform, they were attacked by white men who were disgusted that they were proud of their service. And so we have riots that happened because of Black men who wanted to be recognized as humans after fighting a war, World War II in particular, where Americans were saying, humans should not be treated this way. And yet, at the same time, Americans are putting Asian people and Italian people in internment camps. And so it's very hard to celebrate 4th of July. It's very difficult to celebrate Columbus Day because, we're celebrating colonization when we when we celebrate those things. And so I am not saying that you cannot have your barbecue and you cannot have your grills. I grew up with men on the block, black fathers on the block, they all would bring out their grills, and and they would celebrate these holidays. But we can't celebrate them blindly and without any sort of reverence or any sort of understanding of what it means to say that America gained its independence without giving independence to all human beings on the soil. We have to understand that when they wrote We the People, it didn't include poor people, poor whites, it didn't include people who didn't own land, it didn't include women, it didn't include children, and it didn't include Black people, it didn't include Native American people, it didn't include anyone but white have men, men that had land that they taken. And the whole Constitution, the beauty of the Constitution, I think, is that we have all these amendments, and we have all these acts, which have really saved our country from being locked into this patriarchy that we don't have to participate in. We don't, we choose to participate in it. The laws and the amendments have made it so that we can freely not participate in that. But we choose to participate in it. The 13th Amendment needs to be totally redone with how we treat inmates. But it's not affecting white America right now. But the more that that affects white America, I think there will be changes to that too, when their children are being incarcerated for the same crimes. Because eventually, that's what power does. Sure. So right now, power is all about stamping out brown and black people. That's what it is. But eventually, when it's beneficial to the powers that be to stamp out white, middle class, and lower class, and poor, they'll do that too. And when that starts to happen, then white Americans who vote will see that you're, you voted against yourself. You're voting against yourself. You're voting against yourself and you are allowing power to stay within only a a selected few. I mean, just look at our government. (laughs) Look at our mayors, look at our governors and you will see that they do not represent the people, even, even if we took color out of it, they still wouldn't represent the people who are most affected by laws and amendments and acts
1: and bills. Yeah, thank you for that. Great stories are powerful, right? That's why I love this podcast. We get to hear people from all walks of life talking about their obstacles and their wins. And you know another place we get to do that? The Jen Hatmaker Book Club. And I want you to join today because if you love this podcast, you're going to love the book club. Here's the deal. Each month, We'll dive into a fantastic book, and we read all kinds of stuff. Fiction, memoirs, self-help, all of it. Every single book is something I have read and loved, and I just know you will too. After you sign up, every month I'll send you a box with the book and other fun treats. Plus, your membership comes with a whole slew of perks. You get resources like reading plans, weekly summaries, discussion questions. Plus, you get tons of exclusive community stuff. You get access to our private Facebook group where you can connect with me and all your fellow members. And there's a monthly Facebook live chat session with me and sometimes some surprise guests. Sometimes I pop into the Zoom meetings of our local chapters, which is always delightful. Plus, we do some cool stuff with the book's author. They curate these awesome Spotify playlists just for us. Plus, I record a podcast with the author or another special guest, and we talk about the book. It is an incredible way to cap it all off. And you know what makes a book club great? The people. This community is the kindest, most supportive group you can possibly imagine. They have definitely been saving my life in 2020 join us. So sign up today at jenhatmakerbookclub.com. We are here waiting to welcome you into the sisterhood with open arms. So join us at jenhatmakerbookclub.com today. Okay, back to our show. I want to talk about another space. Our culture has done a deep disservice over time obviously, and how beauty is defined, which, you know, sometimes seems no larger in scope than thin, sleek, and white right? So deeply affects the way little girls view themselves, all little girls, but especially little girls of color. I read a study as recent as 2005, where, you know, young black girls had two dolls put in front of them, a white doll and a black doll, and said, point to the one that is smart or pretty. And overwhelmingly, they point to the white doll. I just wonder if you can talk a little bit more about this, this space too, about what it is like to have to fight to be recognized with beauty and dignity as a black woman in a white culture that defines beauty as largely white.
0: Yeah. And if you Google beauty, you'll get mostly white, thin, young women.
1: Yes, young. I forgot this could that. Be a whole podcast. I forgot the age. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah. And I am feeling that at 51. And <laughs> I lived for a long time with young and thin privilege, and that's a privilege for a long time. I may not have had white, blonde, blue eyed, but I had young and thin for a long time. And um, now I don't. And so to live without those privileges, what that feels like, it feels like an invisibility, like you're just you're just invisible, you're just not seen. And when you are seen, you're seen as a nuisance. I don't know if you know of Roxane Gay or Tressie McMillan-Cotton. Sure. Her book, Hunger, wrecked me. Roxane Gay's book, Hunger, wrecked me. And then right after that, I read Thick by Tressie McMillan-Cotton. Did not know the two of them knew each other. Did not know that they were going to do Here to Slay. But the way that they talk about the beauty problem, the problem with beauty in our culture, is so brilliant. I I highly recommend those books. But as for me personally, to raise a daughter, I remember having a conversation with Nadia, this is just to put a point to it, where I said to her, we would notice that there were boys who clearly liked her when she was going to this all white Christian school, we could see that these boys truly liked her, like we could see it. And I'm not lying, my daughter's a huge button, just adorable and every beautiful in every way that you could think, inside and out. But I told her, and it was really kind of a heartbreaking night, I said, you know what? It's gonna take a very brave boy to cross that barrier. And so because all of his life he's been told that what he wants is something like his mother. He wants someone who looks like his mom, who's beautiful and who's in the way that his mom is beautiful, who's white and thin. And it's going to be very hard for a boy to extract himself from that identity and date who he wants. And so time and time again, we would find that she was the girl sitting on the side Even though these boys would text and they would clearly like her, they always picked the girl that they were expected to pick. And so just like the dolls in front of kids, why have to pick the girl? When we moved to a more diverse school, she was blown away with how much that didn't matter. And boys were, we were a little worried because boys were coming They were coming coming over the walls. Yeah. 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 And lucky for us, she was she wasn't there yet. And I think we also have to realize that the beauty standards and this is where I say so often we shoot ourselves in the foot, especially white America, the beauty standards that are set up there are out of a racist ideology that came out of eugenics that's all in our history of how white people were going to make themselves look different than black people, right? And that this is what the beauty standard was gonna be. And if you didn't fit this, then you were somehow slovenly lazy, all these things that we attach to blackness or difference. And so when you have that happen, you lock white women into impossible standards too. So this is not just worth it. It's not just worth it for Black people to break down that That's a good point. Um, That, that it's, it's good for the health of all of us especially our daughters and our sons because we also have the culture of young men who have a certain idea of what they're, they're entitled to have and missing the whole point of what makes a beautiful relationship so I think we really do have to talk about the history of racism within the world of beauty the products for lightening skin
1: all the hair you know yeah
0: we have to talk about oh my gosh the diet the diet that that you had to eat these things and not these things because that's what poor people eat and that's what you don't want to be that and we are still doing it we're doing this eliteness with our food and i'm i'm just as guilty of it and i have to catch myself i'm undoing that this is Great book called "Fear of the Black Body" by oh gosh, it's the history of fat phobia and the racist link to it, and it's it's, it's extraordinary.
1: Oh, great! Okay, I'll make sure that we link to that in, yeah. the, in the podcast. So
0: yeah, so so this is not by chance. Of yeah, course, is, it's not. We weren't always this way. We weren't always dieting, and we weren't always doing this stuff. And in, in the church, it's it's important that we talk about it because what we've done is we've washed. Well, every time we hear that word "beauty," that Sarah was beautiful, that Esther was beautiful, we have them plucked, shaved, clothed, white. It's ridiculous. I'm like, no one was doing Soul Cycle. There was. No waxing happening. These were Middle Eastern women. There were unibrows happening there. I'm quite sure. And yet we have made it, made this European beauty out of them. When more than likely Sarah was past the age, she was menopausal. We know what, I know what that looks like. I know exactly what that body looks like. I see it every day. And let me tell you, it's not the pictures that we see people making of Sarah where she's has a slim waist, and she's, she's just, her skin is just supple. None of that is happening. There's no skincare products. We have to think, they lived in the desert. I mean, what they perceived as being beautiful looks nothing like what, I don't know what it looked like, but I do know what it didn't look like, and it didn't look like a skin peel, and it didn't look like Botox lips. It just didn't look like yeah. that.
1: Yeah. It didn't. Great point. I like that you brought that in because those were visuals and ideas that were implanted in a lot of our spiritual psyche super early, which finds its way into all of our, the way we perceive the world and beauty, a million things. I'm going to ask you this one last question before we kind of begin to land the plane here your work on your blog and your social media accounts is really powerful and profound. And I'm, I can't wait for everybody to get off this podcast and go follow you just to see the way in which you lead. You have a very special wisdom to you. So let me ask you this. When we come to those spaces that we've you and i've been talking about where black people have been failed tremendously in our country the holidays the history books the way our schools are set up the beauty standards all of it how can me and my white siblings use our influence best here what do you think it looks like to hold space and center the stories of our Black siblings in the most useful way possible—that is genuine and sincere. It is not performative, it is not incomplete. What do you think good allyship looks like here?
0: We are in this fight together because, like right. I said, it's all—it's all connected. You know, when Jesus says the least shall be first and the first shall be last, I think of it as a circle. We think of it because we're Western, we think of it as some sort of punitive thing, like a, some sort of weighty scales. But if he didn't come to condemn and he came for unity, it can't be scales. Like it just can't be. Jesus can't be about scales. But what I think it was is if you think about it, if the least shall be first and the first shall be last, that's circular. Good. But What I would say is the way to use your influence is to influence those that you, conversations that I can't have. I've said this so much. And the best way to have those conversations, the best way to feel most confident going into those conversations is to know this country's history. And I mean the untold stories, especially know how the civil war came to be because we're still fighting this war. So we need to know like, how did we become divided? How did the democratic party become the party of the liberals when it used to be the party of the conservatives? How did all this stuff happen? So that when you go to your parents, when you go to your uncles, when you go into your church settings and things are said that are not true and things are done that are damaging, especially in the schools, when you read something in your kid's textbook you know the history, and you know where that stems from, and you can, you can see it. Because if you don't know the history, you'll read it, you won't see it. You won't see it, because they don't want you to. Of course. So I think that is like one thing. Know your history. Get to know the history. I can't stress that enough. And I think find your broken, white, young men and boys, and love them well. Wow. Every story I hear, I do a lot of listening to ex-white supremacists. How did they land there? And I can't tell you how often the story is that this young boy was looking for an identity and the church didn't give him one. Parents were a mess and, and couldn't give him one. Or their, their identity was whiteness. We need to be able to give these boys a different identity that doesn't make them load up a gun and have their mother drive them to a protest because they have the identity of patriotism. We have to give a a different identity to these young boys, but they're not going to come to my house for dinner. That's right. (laughs) But they're going to go to yours. That's good. And I just think there's a lot to be done with our young white men. I do. But I I think there's a lot of power there that we we tend to not tap into. And I think to have young white men who are in the streets protesting on the behalf of Black Lives Matter to me is more profound than any other demographic because they absolutely don't have to be in the street. They don't, they don't have to care. So I just feel that if you're gonna, uh, sure, read our books, definitely sign up for my Mockingbird history lessons. I wish, as much as I love my Black Coffee White Friends feed, it's, it's sad for me that the, the history lessons are maybe 10% of the people who follow me on black. So there's this thing where I'm like, I love that you guys love this space because I love it too. But I also want you to do the work. Yes. And the work is Mockingbird History Lessons. So it's like, yes, I, I want you to do that. And I want you to read the books. But this is something that you have to tap into on a regular basis. This is not something where you read a book one month and then you go back to your life. To, to be anti-racist, to undo our, for black and white and yellow, it does not matter what race you are. We are in this soup And the only way to know that we are the rabbits in the pot with the heat turning up is to constantly be aware of the temperature. And that's the purpose of Mockingbird History Lessons for adults is that adults be constantly aware of the temperature. The history that we're seeing today is the history from the past, the protests that we're seeing now, after the pandemic in 1918, guess what, there were riots and protests over race. This is no surprise. And guess what else? We had a racist president at the time. So this isn't new. Trump is not new, right, This right. isn't new. And so we need to see what, it, what has happened so that when we see it happening right now, We have this election coming right now and our president is using tactics to frighten white people into believing that their lives are at stake, their religious freedom is at stake. We need to know the history of this. And the church is too silent. So if you are pastoring a church and you're not teaching about this and you're not preaching about this, I think the, the biggest grief and sadness I've had is the church's lack of attention and the performative attention. So it's like either there's a lack of attention or there's a performative attention where when everything happened with George Floyd, all these churches were all about it.
1: For a minute. Yeah.
0: For the first time. Yeah, for a minute. And then they're just not about it anymore. And they're only about it for black people. And, I, and I'm just like, you cannot be in this You cannot be in this Black Lives Matter and not also be about Black trans lives that matter. You can't, you just can't. You have to be willing to say that I serve a God who cares about all life. So I'm really just, I'm waiting for this church to undo a lot of the damage that they have allowed and been complicit
1: with from the beginning. Hear, hear, and amen. Okay. Thank you for that. That's a good word. That's that's preaching. You're preaching to us. Guys, I am living my best treat-yourself life because I just got my FabFitFun winter box. And let me tell you, It is 100% cozy, and I am here for it. Here's what I'm loving out of this box. I got the unhide little marshmallow blanket. It's this super soft, oversized blanket in a gorgeous white and silver cover, which you know I have nestled around me while I watch Hallmark Christmas movies, of course. And then there's this set of two Lily Pulitzer ceramic mugs and they are super adorable painted floral mugs that are so perfect for my morning coffee. You just, you know that I love FabFitFun. Every single season I get the best must-have products shipped right to my door and I always get something I never knew I needed. Plus there's always a huge variety of products to choose from. So pre-order your winter box today. Sign up now so you can snag amazing products like the unhide marshmallow blanket or the painted Lily Pulitzer mugs when you customize. Use coupon code FTL for $10 off your first box at www.fabfitfun.com. So that's www.fabfitfun.com and then use the code FTL for $10 off your first box today. Okay, back to our show. I want to wrap up here, Marcy. These are some questions that we're just asking everybody in this series. And just top of your head, these could be long. You'll have to just pick because this could be an endless list of amazing names. But just for you, who have been some of your greatest role models? Right
0: now, I am following Black people doing... Regular things in the world. Oh, I like that. Because I think so often we forget that we have regular lives. So I'm, I'm following black florists, black coffee makers, black artists, black fashionistas. I'm following black people, black surfers. If I find black people doing things that you just don't see us doing that. I'm so there for it. That's great. I, I'm following this woman right now it's called Hill House Vintage. And she is living her best life in England, like she's Grace Kelly. I mean, you just got to see these photos to believe that. Well, so I, I am following now a woman who is an African American woman married to a white guy who adopted white children. I'm following that because these are narratives that we just don't see. I and that. I need to see Black people doing, just being
1: regular people. I love that you said that. Yeah. That's a great answer. I haven't heard that in the series yet. How fantastic. How about this one? Again, you'll just have to pick. Who are some of your favorite, either artists or teachers or leaders or entrepreneurs, theologians, whatever, that you'd like the rest of us to be paying attention to and listening to and learning from or supporting?
0: Yeah, I would love for everyone to know Howard Thurman. He's, he's long gone, but um, his books, it's like he just wrote them.
1: They're so relevant. I can
0: tell you how. I, yeah, they're so relevant. I, I just read Jesus and the Disinherited, and I, I'm reading his biography right now, and I've read his meditation. So that's like one of my mentors, I would say. I also love, 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 Everything that Austin Shannon Brown is doing with the next question. Same. I hope and pray that with this pandemic that she's able to still carry on those shows is so important. But I I am loving the next question. Yeah, me too. And the conversations that she's having there. Another role model for me, I'm a poet girl. So um, right now, Patrick Otuma, just the way that he's navigating the the division in Ireland, that has a huge history. And he is this soft spoken, poetic, beautiful spirit who is doing communities there to bring people from two different sides of the fence together. That's great. And I'm learning, I'm looking at the black and white narrative of our country and kind of seeing how he's doing that and hoping to learn how. I can be better with that and what kind of spaces I can even create. So that's another person I'm learning a lot from. You know, we'll link
1: to him. Well, all of these, we'll link to all of this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I am learning a great deal. I can't say it enough from Roxanne Gay and Chatsy McMillan-Cotton and Here to Slay because what they're doing with that podcast is they're bringing on people that you've never heard of. It does my heart such good to hear that there are people doing work that I don't know their names, but they're out here and they're doing this important work. They're they're now doing a series on schools that has been blowing my mind. It's a two-part series. I listened to the first part and this one woman who does a lot with after-school programs and I hadn't even thought about what this pandemic is doing for those kids who rely on those resources. So I'm learning a lot. I need to learn from the people that Christianity affects, I hear you, and so mm. that's who I want to learn from, that's and that's who I want right to hear from right now. Yeah, mm. I want to. I want to be like Jesus at those tables. That's right. I want to be at the table with the people that the Pharisees and the scribes would never dine with, and so that's the table I'm sitting at right now, and
1: that's where I'm learning. Yeah, that is the table that you are setting, my friend. Last question: We ask everybody this. It's from Barbara Brown Taylor. And so feel free to answer this however you want to answer it. What's saving your life right now?
0: Right now, what's saving my life and my husband's life and my daughter's life is a cartoon named Bob's Burgers. Lady,
1: I know Bob's Burgers. I don't even mean to, but it makes me bark with laughter.
0: We are watching, like we're doing this thing where we watch one episode and then we say one more and then... We go, okay, one more. And then we get sad after we've watched three or four because then we realize, oh my gosh, we're running out of seasons. And pretty soon we're, we'll, we will have seen them all. But then one of us goes, oh, but then we'll just begin again. You we'll guys. just start over. And we'll... So we are all That's about amazing. Bob's Burgers
1: right now in my home. I mean, look, we got to do what we got to do right now. I'm so happy to bestow on you the honor of the one and only person on this podcast that has said Bob's burgers to that question. Ah, It's yours. You're going to hold that spot forever. (laughs) No one will ever unseat you. I'm so glad to be your friend, Marcy. And I'm, I feel so lucky to, to learn from you. And I want to just affirm one more time how powerful you are in in this, in the world right now, how much your work matters, how meaningful it is. I'm proud of you. And I'm so proud to be your friend. And I'm so happy to send my community kind of to sit at your feet and to just listen and learn. And so, you know, I'm in your corner and cheering you on in every way, my sister, every way.
0: Oh, I, I so appreciate that.
1: Well, sis, until we can just wrap our arms around each other and sit on the porch again, maybe have a little bourbon, as you mentioned. I don't know. <laughs> we'll just see what happens, where the night takes yes. us. I just love you. Thanks for being on today.
0: Love you, too. Thank
1: you. Okay, yet again, thank you for joining us in this series, you guys. Thank you for being here. Thank you for hitting download. Thank you for listening and learning. I love this community and I love this podcast as some sort of avenue that we can come together around these conversations that matter most. If you haven't already subscribed, just hit the button. These conversations will just boom, load up to your phone every single week. You won't even have to work for it. We work and work and work to make these episodes full and powerful and good and useful. Never, ever want to waste your time. And so we take your investment in this community so seriously. And we're so grateful for you for subscribing, for rating and reviewing, for sharing. You are the greatest greatest podcast community. And so on behalf of Laura, our producer and her crew and Amanda and I, Amanda who works so hard. And by the way, Amanda will have everything up over at jenhatmaker.com on the transcript page underneath the podcast tab. Every single thing, the transcript of this interview, all the links, all the people, all the references, all the places you can find Marcy's work. And so that'll be a one-stop shop for you guys. Please be using that as the incredible resource that it is. Okay. So with that, you guys, I thank you for being here and I'll see you next week.